that was transition. <laughs> I love it when the plan comes together. Man, bring, bring that word. That's, that'll, it'll so tie in to, to what I was just talking about. Um, during worship, uh, I feel like God showed me a picture. Um, we've all seen, you know, war movies or football games or something like that where somebody gets injured and somebody who's healthy comes on the field or comes on the, the you know, the field of battle and, and puts their shoulder around them and kind of helps them off the field or helps them up or helps them walk or whatever that looks like. And I feel like God was saying that there's a lot of people that have been in that posture for a really long time um, where Jesus has been there with his arm linked around yours, kind of helping you off the field or helping you walk. And I feel like God was saying to those people that you're going to enter a season where Jesus is taking his arm away and he's straightening your back and he's you know, and he's fixing your hair and he's neatening up your shirt and all that stuff. And he was saying that for this next period, we're going to be walking shoulder to shoulder now. You're not going to be hunched over. You're not going to need my shoulder, my arm picking you up because we're going to be walking shoulder to shoulder now, forward face for this next period. Goes back to restoration, the way you started the service, and just the idea of God wanting to restore. And how He does that is through freedom. You know, we struggle because we want to do stuff our way instead of God's way. And God says, "May you prosper as your soul prospers." You know, as you're getting healed, as you're aligning with Him, that brings that brings prosperity. So, couple things. I'm the announcement guy today. Hallelujah. I don't look like Vanna White, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll try to get through. We have these in the lobby. These are, uh, these are through, the Bible, uh, new, uh, through the New Testament in 90 days. Um, and, and I'd love to see you just roll through these things, but they're out in the lobby. They're also on our website. Uh, so I'd love for you to pick one of these up. Uh, also, I want to bring to your attention at the first of the year, we're going to go into a fast, probably a 40-day fast, and we're going to sign up, have a sign-up sheet coming at the first of the year. Uh, it'll probably be starting in week two or three, probably week three of January, where we go into a 40-day fast. We're going to fast for 24 hours a day. We want people signing up for all hours of the day, so you creative people who like to stay up in the middle of the night, you need to take from 12 to 6. At some point, <laughs> somebody say hallelujah. There's got to be people who do that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, uh, uh, maybe we can find some that are working third shift that'll actually pray while they're working or something. But anyway, we're going to try to pray 24 hours for about 40 days and see what God does. The reason I'm telling you that, I just want you to prepare that we're going to fast and pray and be thinking about how God wants you to fast. Fast can happen all kinds of ways. You can fast one particular thing, something that you love. The great thing to fast is sugar. You know, you can fast coffee. You can fast sodas. You can fast food. You can, you can, you know, the whole gamut. You know, you can do it however you want. Um, so, so want you to be prepared for that. Uh, you're in for a treat this morning.
um, Mike Dry, we took uh, we we took an offering a while back uh, to help Mike go to the second round of the 16-inch journey, 16, 18-inch journey. Yeah, I was thinking Mike was so tall he needed a 24-inch journey, but that would be Drew Burdick. Anyway, uh, uh, from the head to the heart, you know, and he 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 uh, he is a different human being, you know. He pursued God, and and God has changed him, and he's going to give kind of a message testimony of what the Lord's taught him. Let's give Mac Dry a hand as he comes and shares God's word. Well, good morning. Um, I am excited because... As much as this is a testimony, this is a, you, you just really can't explain six months and 35 minutes, um, but I'm going to try. Um, but what, what the treat is, is you get to watch, you get to watch that from here on out. Um, you get to see for yourself the fruit um, that will bear over time from taking, taking time to take people seriously and take the Lord seriously. Um, and then welcome people to do that with yourself. Um, and so before I start, um, Pastor Alex said that people took an, we took an offering not too long ago, and I just want to say thank you to anyone who pitched in anything, whether that was financial, physical, support, whatever. I want to thank you. Um, over that six-month course, I really felt the weight of what it means to be covered by family, um, I would wake up and I would just be reminded that, man, I couldn't be here if I didn't have people step up and, and love me the way that they did. And so I want to thank every single one of you guys that helped me. Um, it means the world. Uh, you made an investment, um, and I'm happy. So um, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not going to start out the way that most church services start out. Um, I'm going to be reading from the Chronicles of Narnia um, just because the gospel is a great story and if you know it well enough, you'll find it in other places. Um, and if anything, nah, I can't say that. This book moved my life. It, it, it messed me up in a good way. Uh, and so I want to start off reading this a little bit, but to fill you guys in, to catch you guys up of where I'm going to start, we are on the brink of war in this book. Aslan is about to make war on the witch. The witch is, um, is taking over Narnia. She's turning the whole thing into winter. She's making it go cold. No one wants to be there. No one likes the witch. Um, classic good, evil battle. So here we are tomorrow if we're going to war, the witch had just captured and killed Aslan. Now, Aslan made a deal with the witch that if you were to give me one of the characters, which is Edmund, he got captured by the witch, I'll trade my life for Edmund. Give me Edmund and you can have my life. And so Aslan trades his life for Edmund and Aslan walked to the witch in the middle of the night, walked to the what was called the sacred stone table and... He willingly lays himself on the stone table, and the witch kills him, shaves him of all of his hair, humiliates him, and has her entire army just mock him 
and tears into pieces, ties them up, and kills them. So war is less than 24 hours away, and our leader is dead. Aslan is dead. Now, Lucy and Susan, who were also main characters, saw Aslan leaving in the middle of the night and decided to follow. And they watched this entire thing, tears, I mean, just weeping, cannot believe that their, that their Aslan is dead. Um, <clears throat> so they actually, they wait for the army to leave, and Aslan is just laying there, and they rush up to him, and they just lay on him. They're, they're crying, they're holding him, they can't believe it's gone. And Susan... Uh, who is the oldest sister, notices that Lucy is like shivering and she's really cold. And so they both get up and they start walking um, to try to stay warm. And so they walk to the edge of the cliff and back. So they're pacing back and forth to Aslan and then back to the edge. And as they're on the way to the edge, they hear this deafening sound. Um, and then they start running back. And so that is where I'm going to pick up. And if you will... Before I get started, this was a book written for children, but it was written by a man who knew the Lord and knew the gospel, um, and it's just all over this book. So I want to challenge you to initiate your own imagination, to awaken your childhood um, and your childlikeness, grab that seven-year-old of yourself and wake him up, because we're going to journey into Narnia and... Uh, I'm going to have fun, so come with me. Um, the rising of the sun had made everything look so different. All colors and shadows were changed that for a moment they didn't see the important thing, and then they did. The stone table was broken into two pieces by a great crack that ran down, down it from end to end, and there was no Aslan. Oh, no, cried the two girls, rushing back, to the t rushing back to the table. Oh, no, this is bad, sobbed Lucy. They might have left the body alone. Who done it, cried Susan. What does it mean? Is it magic? Now, when I say magic, this book is talking about a magic that I would just ask you to use your imagination of what you think magic is, and Aslan will explain it. Yes, said a great voice behind their back. It is more magic. They looked around. There, shining in the sunrise, larger than they had seen him before, shaking his mane, where apparently it had grown back, stood Aslan himself. Oh, Aslan, cried both the children, staring up at him, almost as frightened as they were glad. Aren't you dared, dead, dear, dear Aslan? said Lucy. Not now, said Aslan. You're not, not a, asked Susan shakingly. She couldn't bear herself to say the word ghost. Aslan stood in his golden head, licked her forehead. The warmth of his breath and the rich, of the, the rich sort of smell that seemed to hang around his mane came all over her. Do I look it? He said. Oh, you're real, you're real, said Aslan, cried Lucy. And both the girls flung themselves around, around him and covered him with kisses. But what does this all mean, asked Susan. And when they, were, when they were somewhat calmer, it means, said Aslan, though the witch knew the deep magic, there was a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back to the dawn of time, but it, if she could have looked just a little bit further in the stillness in the, dark, the darkness before time dawned, she would have read that there was a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who has committed no treasury is killed in a traitor's stead, 
that the table would crack and death itself would start to work backwards. And now, oh yes, now, said Lucy, jumping and clapping her hands. Oh children, said the lion, I feel my strength coming back. Oh children, catch me if you can. He stood there for a second, his eyes very bright, his limbs shivering, lashing himself with his tail, and then he makes a great leap over their heads and landing on the other side of the table. Laughing though she didn't know why, Lucy scrambled over it to, scrambled over it to reach him. Aslan leaped again. A mad chase had begun. Round and around the hilltops, he led them, now hopelessly out of reach, now letting them catch up. <clears throat> Now diving between them, now tossing them <clears throat> in the air with a huge, beautiful, bevetted palsy, catches them again, and now stopping unexpectedly so that all three can roll over together in the happy, laughing heap of the fur, arms, and legs. Now, this was a book written for children, but I dare you to read, I dare you to read it, because it's an amazing story. So, Aslan had just outsmarted the witch, War is starting, like, war is less than 12 hours away. The sun's come up. The, the witch is attacking sometime today. Aslan is alive, so you would think, like, the first thing is, like, he's getting war ready, but he stops to play tag with these children. Um, and I, that, I read this because that is what the 18th journey was for me at first. I get there with this tactic in mind. I've got this strategy. I've got this plan laid out. I want to deal with this, this, this. We're going to end up here. I'm going to be free of this. I'm going to be healed. And I get there, and I hear, catch me if you can. I hear the Lord, catch me if you can. And I was introduced to the playfulness of the Lord. Um, I'm, I'm, I show up, serious as all get out. I've had people invest in me. Like, this is, this is no, like, just casual thing. This is a big deal. My life is on the edge of change, and <clears throat> I have this list of things I want to deal with. I got, I got problems. I got all these things I want to I deal with with the Lord, and I get there, and his attitude is, catch me if you can. And a mad chase begins. And so... That's what my 18th journey at first was. <clears throat> like, I am I'm finding the Lord more in a game of basketball than I am sitting in the scriptures. Now, bear with me. I'm finding him in the scriptures, but it's just like, man, I am, I am laughing and running around with the Lord. Like, I mean, goofing off, having some fun, and the Lord is just laughing with me. And like, y'all, they, would, they scheduled three hours once a week for play. And we would, have, we would have a staff member come out there and lead us in a game, whether that was basketball, capture the flag, tag. Um, man, one time we played Sharks and Minnows. Like, I'm, I'm serious. That was the, like my favorite game. I don't know why. Maybe I didn't play it much as a kid, but I went nuts in that game. The whole idea of like, you gotta get away from the shark or your sea, that was oh, amazing. But it was in those moments that, like, the seven-year-old in me would just, like, burst up. And I began to notice, like, as I was growing up, being the younger brother, um, I just wanted to be more mature and more older a lot. And so 
as a kid, I just remember like not letting myself be the kid because I wanted to be the older, I want to be mature. Like, um, and I noticed like when I, when I let go of that and I gave into the play and invited the Lord into it, this seven to eight year old of me like just bursted up and had fun. Like I was able to, to freely enjoy Sharks and Minnow just as much as I would freely enjoy sitting with a cup of coffee reading the scripture. Like I had that much fun. Um, and so I, I, so you talk about the playfulness of the Lord. When I think of the playfulness of the Lord, this scripture comes to mind and it is Psalm 23 verse five. And it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I say the playfulness of the Lord because Again, my, my war, I love what you said. My war movie ideal situation is like last one on the team, like a heel of, a heel of armies coming after me and I've got my sword like, and I'm ready. And then just imagine like um, a waitress comes up and says, would you like the special? And you turn around and there's like a table and you're like, the, the army's coming down the hill and you're like, Thank you. And you're like, you're like, what is, what is going on? Like, I'm, I'm about to, like, I'm going to war and you want to serve me food. So this is the kind of playfulness of the Lord that I, that I ran into. is like just seeing the side of the Lord that's like, as much as I am serious and um, this Lord reigning over all the universe, I like to have fun as well. Um, and so Graham Cook pointed this out to me that, the kind of God that sets a table in the presence of your enemy is the kind of God who's just not concerned. He's not concerned about what's coming down that hill towards you. So much to the point where it says, hey, let's have a meal. Why don't you come over? I'll cook. Uh, don't worry about anything. It's covered. While the army is coming down the hill, he is setting up a feast. Um, and I, I have just seen this playfulness of the Lord. And so I want to continue reading um, because... What I love most about this story is just Aslan's choice to initiate play with these children who are about to go to war. They've been set up for success. They have these arrows and medicine that they're going to go into war and they're going to win. They're set up for success, but I love the moment where Aslan has the ability to go straight into war, roaring like a lion, like <clears throat> jumping all over that he, doing what he does best but he takes a moment to initiate these children and play, and plays tag, catch me if you can, and a mad chase begins. So, um, and the funny thing was that when all the three finally laid together, <clears throat> panting in the sun, the girls no longer felt least tired, hungry, or thirsty. And now Aslan presentedly, said presentedly to business, I feel I am going to roar. You had better put your fingers in your ears, and they did. And Aslan stood up, and when he opened his mouth to roar, the face became so terrified that they couldn't even dare to look at it. And they saw all the trees in front of him bend before the blast of his roar, as the, as the grass bends from the meadow before the wind. And he said, we have a journey to go. You must ride on me. And he crouched down and let the children climb on him on his warm golden back and Susan sat first holding on tight to his mane. Lucy sat behind him tightly holding on to Susan. 
And with a great heave, he rode underneath them and shot off faster than any horse could go down the hill into the thick forest. Um, and so, I mean, this is, that was just two pages, y'all, of, of a children's book. But the entire series is just, it's all over. The gospel's all over it, man. Aslan is on the move, and these children are stumbling into the forest and un, into a world they've never been able to explain. It's just amazing. It's an amazing story written by a man who loves the Lord um, and writes so beautiful. Um, but give me a second. <clears throat> Has anyone read Narnia? Yes. Isn't it amazing? If you're if you've got a kid and you are having trouble putting them to sleep, uh, read this book to them. Um, <laughs> it's it's just a good it's a great book, um, and you'll never run out of content because it's seven books, um, and so you can just read them right to sleep, and then your life will be changed while you're reading it, and maybe their life too. Um, but I, I started with Narnia because my, the most valuable lesson that I learned on the journey was this. And it's this quote that Ken Hessler gave me. Um, he didn't give it to me. He just studied a lot until it drilled into my head. In everything, God has a voice. You can hear him in everything and miss him in anything. Um, and I just love that because I put it to test every day. And I was like, okay, if I can find him, and anything. If he has a voice in everything, let's play basketball. If he has a voice in everything, I'm just going to run through the field and not let anybody touch me, and I'll, let's see if I can find you there. If he has a voice in everything, I'm going to try and not get hit by the sharks, and I'm going to just try and make it to the other side. And y'all, it's true. He has a voice in everything. Proverbs 3, verse 6 says, I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. It says, Becoming, become intimate with him in where, wherever you do, in whatever you do, and he'll lead you wherever you go. Um, and don't think for a moment that you know it all. I love that. Um, because that is just as important as the first part. Because in everything, God has a voice, but don't think that you know it all. Um, beautiful. Um, so, here I am with, with this quote for six months, daring to, to even believe that God has a voice in everything. Um, and one of, one of my favorite things was every, we, had a, we would sit down and eat a meal three times a day. Um, there would be breakfast uh, that we had to cook, but we would sit down and eat it anyway. Lunch was put out for us, and then we would have kitchen teams that would cook dinner. Um, and we... We just ate together three times a day. Um, and I, I just got messed up here because there's something so special about sitting with people every day, three times a day, just eating with them. Um, and I, I got so messed up by it that I would start to sit with the Lord like this. And as I would start to read, I would, I would, I would talk to him and I would talk to myself the same way that I would sitting across with someone eating a meal. Um, and so daring to hear the Lord's voice and everything was in a, an amazing challenge for me because I know my scripture. Um, I can always know it better, and I'm on a journey to know it better. Um, 
But as much as God is in the Bible, he is in the life around us. Um, and I just found that in, in the simple things. When I would get up before, before the sun and make a cup of coffee and pull somebody into that with me, um, God was there. I, I, would, I initiated my imagination and would just picture the Lord in the room, like ecstatic that I was even up. But he would, he would, like, he would say things like, you didn't beat me. Like, you woke up early, but I was up before you. In fact, I did all of this before you got up. And it was just, this, again, this playfulness with the Lord that, that just, it, it just shook off all the, the religious, like, um, I have to get up and read. I have to, if I don't get up and read, my day's ruined. Like, it would just, like, it just wiggled it off a little bit. Um, and religion, and I love what you said about religion. Religion, you said this a few years ago, and I remembered it because it was so well put. Religion can be argued in and out of, you can be argued in and out of religion, but you cannot be argued out of an experience. Um, and I, I just started having these experiences with the Lord that at the end of the day, I loved sharing them and they couldn't be argued away from me because that was mine. Um, and so as much as, as much as God is in the Bible, he is in the life around us. And Really, before it was in the Bible, it was in life. Um, and I started reading the Bible that way, that I'm reading a life story that was written for us and preserved over time. Like, it was life before it was a story. Um, and another thing that I was daring to do is daring to hear the Lord's voice in my mistakes. Learning that when I mess up, when I, when I drink, can y'all hear the water going down? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, good. <laughs> Daring to hear the Lord's voice in my mistake. So when, I don't know what it was, but I, I noticed when I was on the journey that when I made a mistake, um, like we, when we get there, let me just paint an average day for you, maybe an average week. We would spend maybe six hours a week spread like maybe two here or two here in a classroom. <clears throat> and the rest was like outside of class. Um, and I love this because they would teach you and then let you learn um, and put you out there. Because as much as I was learning, I was in a dark room. I was doing dark room photography. I had, a, I had my own plot of land. I was doing a garden, um, which was very hard, by the way. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I had my own plot of land. I had, a, I had a, a film camera that I had assignments every week. I had kitchen duties. I had to clean or cook every, every day. Um, and I, I loved that they did this. They supplied us with so much activity and so many things to just put into practice what you're learning, um, to play with the Lord in the kitchen. But as much as I had room to put into practice, I also had room to make mistakes, um, which... I found is a very vital need that I have is to be in a place where I'm able to make mistakes. Um, because I have this lie in my head that when I make a mistake, all the trust that I've earned with that person or with that thing is robbed and I have to start over from square one. Um, and the Lord just wrestled that away from me. He would not let me have that way of thinking because it's not true. 
I'm able to make mistakes. And in fact, I was journaling his voice one day and he said, every time that in your mistake you choose me, you're resisting the devil. Um, and every time you resist him, he goes back to square one. And if you resist him enough, he'll hate going back to square one and he'll leave you alone. Um, and again, it's just this playfulness of the Lord. He's like, listen, he's going back to square one. Like, just keep resisting him and he's going to stop. Um, and it's, it's just this amazing, amazing relationship that I started to craft with the Lord because learning that feedback is not where I've messed up, but where I, where it's like, where it's, feedback is where, not where I've messed up, but where I can do better. Um, and I actually didn't, I didn't get this until that last month that I was there. It was very hard for me to receive feedback, and I'll say very hard lightly. Um, it, it was hard because of the way that I would speak to myself. On, on the outside, like, thank you. I love, I love the correction. Thank you. But, <laughs> but in, in my mind, I'm freaking out. Like, golly, why did I do that? If I hadn't done this, if I was over here, like, I would be thinking of ways that I couldn't have done it. Um, and I actually want to thank Michael Wallace. When he was uh, our youth pastor, he was the one who showed me uh, what healthy correction looked like um, outside of family. Like, I had it in my family, um, but when I, I hadn't had a job at, at this point, so I didn't have the workplace, but I had my youth group. And Michael Wallace would <clears throat> very carefully but lovingly correct me where I've done wrong. Um, and that was one of the first areas where I learned to receive correction. Um, but I also learned this, that who I am in my mistakes is just as important as who I am in my success. Um, because who you are and how you talk to yourself in your mind when you make a mistake is very important. And I found that the Lord is, um, he, he is concerned about that as well. He, he would, uh, I would make a mistake and I would start like this negative self-talk, like, gosh, why did you do this? Dude, get it together. And the Lord would be like, what are you doing? Like, I, I just, I meant to scramble the egg, but I did it. I burnt them. And he's like, that's okay. But it, but it was more like this, uh, it's just an egg. Like, what? like let, let, let's not tear yourself down. Like, you didn't, you didn't ruin breakfast. Like, you should, <laughs> didn't cook one egg. Um, and it, it's just... Learning, this, this is so easy to preach, but it's so hard to get a concept of who I am in my mistakes is just as important, just as important as who I am in my success because it's very easy to be joyful and full of the Lord's strength when you're, you're being very successful. But when you feel like you can't get on top of your mistake, when you feel like you can't get it right, when, when the voice that's loudest in your head is, God, get it right, those are the important moments that God is like, I want to step into there. I want to step into those moments, and I want to show you who I am and who you are in these moments as well. Um, I found him a lot in my success, but I also found him in my mistakes as well. Um, another thing is daring to hear the Lord's voice in grief, which was a, a very hard, um, very hard thing to do because this was. <clears throat> Excuse me. This was something that was initiated and started uh, very early on um, because I was talking to the Lord about my hearing. 
um, and just begin to realize that I actually had never questioned or been angry or been really even honest with the Lord about my hearing. It was almost like this negative uh, just thing that I ignored and put on the back burner for whenever he heals it. Um, which he just talked me through that. And he walked with, with me and he said, that, I don't want you to do that. I never intended for you to ignore your hearing until I healed it. Um, as much as I want to heal your hearing, um, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna heal you as well. I wanna hear your, your mental capacity. I wanna heal your heart towards yourself. Um, and, I, and I found that I was actually really angry with the Lord um, with my hearing. Um, but it was so stuffed down that um, it was almost invisible. Um, I didn't even realize. It was so numb. I was so numb to the point of my anger with the Lord and my hearing that I had not noticed that I was angry. Like, which is just hard. It was hard for me to admit that I was angry because I, for so long, God is good. He's my healer. He's going to show up. He's bringing my heaven ears down. Like, I, I'd had this language. I knew what to say, but it wasn't matching the feelings that I had in my heart, which is a very dangerous place to be. If you're good at saying the right thing, I would check your heart because in the long run, I think Pastor Alex said this a few weeks, at the end, he's going to reveal your, your intention, your heart's intention. He knows you down to the very wire of who you are. He knows your intention. He knows your thought. He knows you. And I just felt, one, the safety of being able to do this with the Lord, but also the playfulness. Um, <laughs> so this was very hard to do because um, it was just so, I was so numb to it. Um, and I had this one-on-one -on -one leader who would walk me through memories that I had as a kid because I used to wear hearing aids as a kid. So before I go any further, I am partially deaf. I have about 50% of my hearing. Um, but before today, or before last year, I would have told you um, what I want rather than what I am. What I want is perfect healing, 100% uh, hearing, but what I have is 50%. Um, and so just being able to admit that was very hard because I knew what to say. Um, so who I am in my mistakes is just as important as who I am in my success. And so I began to just journey with the Lord through the, in my one-on-one -on -one leader, I'd shared a memory with him and he began to <coughs> kind of walk me through this memory. And he says, close your eyes. Um, and I closed my eyes and he starts to walk me through this memory. Now this memory is, I was about seven years old, six or seven and I'm going to the doctor to test my hearing, but I'm not really sure what's going on because I'm seven years old. Um, and so I get put in this like cubular, this box room, and all it's really dark, and it has this window, and on the other side I see this guy with headphones, and he's talking to me through my headphones, and I see my mom sitting next to him, um, and he's, he says, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna test your hearing, so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not make any noise, um, and when I make a noise, when, you're going to hear a beep. When you hear the beep, just say something. And so I remember having so many questions. I was really scared. I, was really, I didn't know what was going on. And he said, okay, I'm going to start. And then I got really scared because I couldn't hear anything. <clears throat> um, 
And this is just a really, it's not a dark moment, it's just a hard moment for me because I'm, I'm dealing with my hearing as a seven-year-old and I don't know what to do. Um, and so my one-on-one leader says, can you see Jesus in this moment? I said, no. Which, when I said that, I started breaking down because I realized I believe this lie that the Lord hasn't been with me. <clears throat> in fact, he hadn't been with me until I accepted him as my savior, which was the lie. He had been with me the whole way. He had been with my mother the whole way. Um, and so I'm sitting here in this room and I start to picture Jesus. Um, and he, he, I see him and he doesn't do what I expect him to do. But he comes up and he pulls a chair up next to me and he sits down and he gets as close as he can and he starts to listen. And I look up and through the glass, I can see him sitting next to my mom as close as he can be holding her as well. And this moment was restored for me because God God was with me. He has been with me through the whole thing. Um, And so now, when I close my eyes and picture Jesus, two things happen. One of two things. Either he'll, he'll pull up a chair next to me and just sit there, as close as he can be. Or he'll walk up to me and kiss me on my forehead. Over the last six months, that has been the only thing I can picture Jesus doing when I close my eyes. And I believe it's because he wants to restore my belovedness. He wants to restore the son in me that he wants me to, he, he just wants me to know that you're my beloved. You're the love of my life, I love you. And I don't have words, I just wanna be close to you. And kisses me in the forehead. Um, and so through all of this, I'm, I'm dealing with my hearing, I'm dealing with this anger that starts to well up. And I, I just start to be really honest. I'm, I'm, I'm not screaming, but I'm being honest with the Lord. True feelings well up and I noticed that I can be upset with him, that I can be angry with the Lord, that I can ask the hard question, and he handles it. He loves me through it. He expects me to ask the question. He does not expect me to not be angry about that because he is just as, he's just as angry and upset about the situation as I am because I've been robbed of 100% hearing. And so when you're, when you, don't allow yourself to be angry and you present joy instead, it can be very exhausting because at the end of the day, you're actually lying with yourself. And if you lie enough, you become numb to the true feeling and you're just presenting joy, which is false joy. It's not real. And that's where the enemy wants you. And the enemy hasn't had to do anything yet. And this was the mentality that was getting touched on my journey this deep anger with the Lord that I had not been able to express was finally being gently talked to. And I found that <clears throat> he understands me. He's not scared of my question. And he looked, he, I mean, he, gets, he pulls up that chair next to me. He gets as close as he can be and he says, I understand your humanity, who you are as a person, where you are, your, your intentions, your hearing. I understand your humanity. And I'm not asking you to be a better person 
or to do it better or be better, I'm asking you to be where you are and let me come to you. Beautiful restoration in my heart for who I see the Lord to be. Um, so again, you can't argue that experience away from me. That is mine. And it's not going anywhere because the Lord restored that in me. Um, and so I want to read um, from Lamentation. It's about 10 verses, but I'm just going to read that, and then I'm going to close with another Narnia quote. So, Through the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never crease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him. He is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. It is good for people to submit at an early age to the yoke of his discipline. Let them sit alone in silence beneath the Lord's demand. Let them lie face down in the dirt, for there may be hope at last. The Lord is good to those who depend on him and who search for him. Now, back to Narnia. I mean, this is, this is just a taste. This is who the Lord's been for me. This is, uh, this is just where he's shown up in my life. Um, and just the attitude of the Lord was gentle but playful. He was playful with me. And he knew I needed a father who was playful with me. So um, this is, so I read... When I started, I read from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which was the first book. But as C.S. Lewis was finishing the series, he realized, I think I need to explain the beginning even better. So he goes back and writes the first book, which is called The Magician's Nephew, which sets this story up even better. Um, and I'm not going to fill you in, because this is just a magnificent read, um, and you need to go read it for yourself. But this entire journey happened with the main character in this book. And we're coming to the end of the book, and he's out of Narnia, and he starts to realize how ordinary his life is. For the rest of that day, whenever he looked at the things about him, he saw how ordinary and unmagical they were. He hardly dared to hope. But when he remembered the face of Aslan, he did hope. Let them lie face down in the dirt, for there may be hope at last. I, I got wrecked by a children's book. I got met by the Lord in a game of sharks and minnows. I couldn't have told you that was gonna happen. Man, I went, I went to the, the farm. I went on my journey wanting to, to just really like do all these things and deal with all these situations, but the Lord Catch me if you can. And I enjoyed the chase. And to be honest, I'm still chasing him. He is so fun to chase. 
because sometimes they'll slow down just to let me catch up and then take off again. It's never boring with the Lord. Never boring. And so, Father, restore our childlikeness. Help us to sit in your lap where your arms are surrounding us with a book and help us hear your voice, hear you reading our story over us. I want to lay back against your chest and hear you breathe. I want to be a kid again. I want to chase you. I want to giggle. I want to stumble as I run. I want to be a kid again, chasing after you. I love you, Lord, and I'm falling more and more in love with you because you're real. In everything, you have a voice. I can find you in anything and miss you in everything because you are all over the place. Your gospel is wildly written in a children's book. Your gospel is wildly being played right in front of me as I go to work. You are not the God that I knew. But I'm glad I get to discover you for the rest of my life. And so, Father, I, I pray over these people as they go that they would run to you in childlikeness, that they would discover you new, <laughs> that they would find your new mercies every morning because you're that kind of father that you're not just going to give us some old washed-up mercy. You're going to make it new every morning, and you have enough to do that. You have enough for us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.